Good afternoon and welcome to Marketing Live for Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. I'm your host, Rob Zinkin. I serve as Associate Vice President for Marketing at Indiana University, and I'm delighted to be kicking off our 2017 Marketing Live episodes with a recap of the recent AMA Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. Marketing Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. You can be part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge, so please participate in today's discussion. You can tweet us using the Higher Ed Live hashtag. All episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the road by subscribing to the podcast. Today's episode is made possible by the American Marketing Association, organizers of the AMA Annual Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. More than 1,000 professionals joined AMA last month in Orlando to discuss smart new strategies to help their institutions differentiate, engage, fundraise, and recruit. So please consider attending the 2017 conference later this year, which will be held in Atlanta in November, and details will become available on the AMA site in the near future. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a marketing and communications firm that works with education institutions on branding, strategy, web design, and more. And today's live viewing experience is powered by Maestro, the premier marketing tech platform for broadcasters. So let's meet our guests. First, Heather Swain. Heather is Vice President for Communications and Brand Strategy at Michigan State University. Heather has climbed the ranks since joining MSU in 2006. She's also at State University and right here at Indiana yeah. University once upon a time. Heather co-chaired AMA's 2016 Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. Heather, great to see you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. And second, Christy Harper, who is Assistant Vice President for University Marketing at California Lutheran University, where she has served since 2012. Previously, she was president of an independent brand strategy consulting firm called Brand Endeavor. And Christy was also a member of the AMA 2016 Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education Committee. Christy, thank you for joining us. Welcome thank to you, and uh, nice to see you. You too. Thanks for having me. So to begin, I, I always ask guests just to give viewers a, a little bit more insight beyond the, the basic bio info to just share a, a nugget about their professional journey. Anything from your career path that has influenced you over the years or has had a, a lasting impact. So Heather, I'm going to pick on you first to, to start us off. Okay. Well. Um you know, uh, I always say to not, you know, not forget the people that helped you, the people that got you started, that kind of thing. And so um, I thought it might be fun for people to know uh, about somebody who helped me get started uh, because it's a name I think people will recognize. So a lot of folks in higher ed marketing are, are familiar with Simpson Scarborough. Um, but I went to work under Christopher Simpson, who has uh, since passed away, um, at IU Bloomington, so where you are. Um, and um, I, I like to say that I was forcibly promoted, and that's actually true, um, because I was just a writer editor working away in a little office with no windows and cinder blocks, um, you know, over in a building that was like where we were attached to the place where the printing presses were. And he came in as a new vice president and wanted to really shake things up. And I guess he was just wandering around looking for people to help shake things up. 
I didn't really know I was one of those people. And he said, hey, I want you to come on over to the marketing department and bring some people and start this new publications thing over marketing. And I said, no, thanks. And he called me a couple weeks later and he said, yeah, really, no, you need you need to come do that. Or, or maybe you could do something else, like somewhere else. And I went, oh, okay, I get it. So, um, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't even know what, um, what you're capable of or what you're, um, you know, what you can learn until somebody gives you that, that kick and also that opportunity. And so I think it's just a good lesson to, um, you know, really seize the opportunities, even if maybe they scare you, which is really what was going on there. I was just in my early 20s and um, and take them. So uh, for everybody who's out there, you know, with maybe some kind of thing in front of them that maybe they're just not sure they can do, maybe they're not sure they're qualified, maybe just, you know, grab it and go. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I'm sure in some ways it seems probably just like yesterday, in other ways, probably an eternity. Ago. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Christy, how about you? Anything that you could share that's uh, that's impacted your professional journey? Yeah, I, you know, the one that that people ask me about all the time is I made a big shift going from a corporate branding agency to starting my own branding agency to then coming in-house in higher ed, and people always wonder what the what that was about and. Um, you know, when I was at the corporate branding agency, I loved the work, but I just felt it was, I just felt it was kind of soulless. Like, what am I really contributing to the world? And my husband, who's a writer, who's always pursued his passion, would say, what would you do if money were no object? And I'd say, I'd work at a university, but I can't afford to do that, right? <laughs> There's no way. And... Uh, but that question got me thinking and ultimately when I left the big branding agency in 2008, I started to seek out higher ed clients thinking, okay, well, this is a way I can be involved in, in university life without giving up my income or salary or getting a PhD, right? <laughs> and um, one thing led to another. I ended up uh, having Cal Lutheran as a client and then they ended up inviting me to come on staff and I feel like now I'm getting to do that thing that I would do if I, you know, weren't getting paid for it or if money were no object and I am getting paid for it. Maybe not as much as the corporate consulting world, but, you know, <laughs> so, you know, for me, you know, in it, even at this conference, we talked a lot about purpose and values and mission. And I think for me, the shift from my from that corporate life to this life has been a lot about seeking more meaning for my own professional journey. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you both for sharing. And and before we get into the the nuts and bolts of the AMA conference, I do want to, uh, to congratulate you, Heather, on the AMA Higher Ed Marketer of the Year Award, and and ask you what uh, what that meant to you and and your team at Michigan State. Oh, thank you. Um, so for me, that really is about the team, um, you know, because it's uh, it's an award that's more about um, your kind of career and and the holistic, you know, it's not the one year award. It's more the whole thing. And um, I've spent half my career uh, at Michigan State now. So um, it's about what we've all built here together, um, a, a lot of it. And um, so you know, I had the opportunity, you know, in my remarks to reflect on some of those lessons learned. And they are about, you know, kind of the things that um, I think you do as a leader, as um, someone who is um, 
doing things that you're you're kind of building together with a team and and also as part of the uh, as part of the higher education community um, you know what um, you know reflecting on what Christy said about some of the values that we share um, and what we're um, what we're all building you know what we don't lose sight of um, the meaning of the work we do so it meant a lot to me um, because uh, the reason that I work in higher education other than just the accident of you know sometimes you accidentally get there but the reason that you stay um, is because um, of what it means and what you care about and so you know, being recognized for doing it well um, and building something that that people respect and um, see as valuable um, means a lot. Great, and you mentioned sharing some of the, the lessons that you learned, and I think one that that seemed to resonate was uh, your point about having when you have too many ideas, you that you can't do them all yourself. You just give them away. And were there yeah. other things that that you shared that uh, that seemed to resonate or, or people talked to you about afterwards? Um, uh, well, I don't know. I think me sharing the the picture of myself on a potty, uh, half naked, probably just got people to laugh. But the point of that is to not to not take yourself too seriously and not you know not forget about where you came from. You know, um, not forget that you know you, you know people have always helped you all along the way. Um, people have helped develop you. You know that, um, and that all along, whatever you accomplish is not yours alone. That that it's always a team effort, um, and that um, you always need to remember to be um, grateful, um, thanking people, um, acknowledging people, and that you need to be developing people all the time because you know you and giving them agency, like you really giving people ownership over the pieces and parts of things um, that that we make um, and to be remembering that constantly. So um, I think that that's, that's another kind of big message um, that was important to share. But the, the giving ideas away, I think I, I shared that, that that came from my brother who's an astrophysicist who surely has more ideas in a day than I would have like, I don't know, in a year. Um, and, and when he shared that with me, it, it really, it was earlier in my career and it really did make a big difference. It was sort of like, you know what, just give it away, give it away. And that's sometimes not your inclination, especially when you're younger, you think somehow it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta get credit for this. And I know it helped me to see that you could kind of just almost just make yourself more bigger and more valuable by just sharing more, right? So um, I think when you're younger, sometimes you don't recognize that right away. And speaking of your your team, uh, you were also recognized uh, that the great work that you've done at Michigan State in a recent Case Currents article. And, and I do want to ask about the the evolution of your, your brand strategy work, because I think uh, whether it's presentations or what we read, there's there's always so much about the all the work on the front end, whether that's the, the the marketing research or involving stakeholders in the process, but perhaps not as much about once the the brand once you've launched it yeah. to your your target audiences and all that happens and how you steward the brand and how it evolves and the work yeah. that you do afterward. And you have a great story to tell there, and so I'm interested if you could you could share more about uh, the the process that has evolved at Michigan State. Yeah, so, you know, this has been, it's, you know, it's been a long go, um, you know, we, we really got started with branding as a thing um, uh, back in, you know, we started our original research back in um, 2009. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a journey, in fact, of even getting our 
you know, even though the president said to me in my initial interview here, I want a brand. It was several years. I mean, after we launched our first iteration before she would actually kind of acknowledge it and stand up in public and kind of be behind it because that was risky for her. Um, and so it's, you know, it has been a, a journey of adoption really by our leadership adoption, you know, on campus. We intentionally started kind of far away um, out in airports uh, on the other side of the country, out in LA, you know, down in Atlanta um, in order to allow our alumni base to kind of grab a hold of it and get behind it and then bring it in. So um, it wasn't really until we kind of did this brand evolution that we even brought it really onto campus in a very visible way. Um, I think that, um, you know, it has been very intentional that we make it as flexible as we can. We have 17 degree granting colleges. Um, but one thing that I have seen that I think maybe is something to share with people is that um, as we've kind of evolved uh, deans over time, our newer deans have come in just sort of expecting that that kind of an infrastructure is in place. And so where it used to be a lot more heavy lifting for me to get academic leadership on board, um, and I thought every time I'd have new deans, I'd have to like go and kind of get them onto this. You know, I, I was like all geared up to do that. And then I'd find they were like, well, of course. Um, and so it's, I, I think it's, um, I think it shows the evolution in our industry, in our sector, in higher education itself, that um, there's more of just, it, it may not be a technical understanding of what we're doing, but there's just more of an assumption that that's kind of what has to happen, what we do. And they might quibble with how we do it, or maybe not understand the technicalities of it or you know really what's branding what's maybe just some logos but there is much more of an acceptance that we do it um i, I would say that another important part of our journey is always that we ground it in research and so every time that we've been making some kind of a, a shift you know when we kind of went through this last round of kind of an evolution of the brand um same same fundamentals but we, we used a different kind of, of research um, and brought more richness to it. But every time we're bringing research to the table, we're calling these huge meetings, anybody come, everybody come, whoever wants to come, but trying to make sure some important players are at the table um, so that it's not opinion-based, it's our opinion, you know, it's, it's um, you know, sharing things, insights from either qual or quant or both. Um, that that always helps kind of level that playing field in terms of people getting you know just sort of uh, their own uh, emotions riled up in it whether our own staff or or some other group so that's been important well and if i could prod on that point a, a bit further in, in being grounded in research and you mentioned uh, a little bit different kind of research yeah. research could you hear about that i've read read a bit about it but but it's fascinating yeah, so it was called emotional inquiry research, and it's something that our agency BBK, um, our actually our um, one of the people on our account team had come uh, originally from that research agency and joined BBK, and so was quite familiar with the process, um, and so uh, shared it as a as an option with us, and we looked at a lot of case studies done for some consumer brands, and um, you know it had not been to our knowledge used with um, used with higher ed. Um, and it just really is a, it is it is qualitative. It's like a really super deep dive. So it's like more than an in-depth interview. It's like a, it's based on um, psychoanalysis. And so it's like, they take a person, they are 
their eyes are closed for 45 minutes and the anthropologists, other social scientists, psychologists, uh, you know, that's their background, are sitting with the person and getting them to recall very specific memories of points of it kind of reminds me of some of the brand attachment kind of, you know, it's not a, a quantitative thing, but what are their moments of brand attachment? I happen to be reading Larry Vincent's book, Brand Real, and talking about in the journey, you're looking for those places where the emotions really spike because you can't manage every single touch point in the journey. So where are these points where there's something really, you know, emotional happening? So they're actually looking for them to recall in their interactions with the brand, where where are these memories like really standing out for them and what's that about? What's that happening? And it may not be positive, it may be negative, but you know, so it's this looking for these emotional imprints with the brand and to help guide and then find where among these different groups. Now we did faculty, students and staff, I mean, back, yeah, no faculty, students and alumni, um, you know, where are the common threads? Where are the overlays um, where we can find that the brand is, um, you know, we've got these common threads. So um, that's what we did. And we, and we did find some, some very similar kinds of things that were the basis of some real attachment and enthusiasm and, you know, brand love. So um, that helped us get more depth into our, our brand um, platform for many diverse, you know, in a large institution like you, where you are, Rob, um, you know, many communicators all across the campus trying to figure out how to tell that brand story from their particular unit or perspective to give them some Great. more fodder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for sharing. Kudos to you and your team for the work that you've done and congrats again on the award. Thanks. So, Christy, I'm interested as well to hear uh, some of the advice that you shared being a part of the career panel, uh, since we've touched on some of those those tidbits or takeaways uh, in, in terms of one's career. So what were some of the things that you shared and then did you have takeaways that you uh, you had from the other panelists on the on the career topic? Yeah. So I, well, I did the career panel last year. This year, um, this year I wasn't able to do it. So I because I was doing another presentation. But I think um, from last year, I think the main thing is the the advice that I always give is don't look at your career as a ladder. You know, don't look at it as climbing to the next thing straight up. Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In talks about thinking about your career as a jungle gym, right? And sometimes you're going to crawl across. You might crawl down. And then by crawling down and across, you might end up crawling further up. And um, that's the path that I've always taken. Like Heather, I had a, a forced promotion early in my career that um, felt premature and felt kind of scary. That led me to like do a big, big path up. And then when I started my own firm, it was kind of parallel. And, you know, so you just sort of go across. And I think young people get into this um, trap of feeling like, what's my next like step up the ladder versus thinking about where do I really want to get and is going across or down or diagonal a better way to go. Um, so that's a lot of what we talked about. And, I, you know, then I think the other thing is, um, in our field, the question of being a generalist versus a specialist, and many of us in leadership in this field come from specific paths. So I come from a, a traditional marketing side, somebody else might come from a traditional PR side, and yet we have to have skills in and knowledge in all of those areas. And so do you focus your career on building deeper expertise, or do you focus your career on 
building broad knowledge or some combination of the two. So the other two panelists in last year's panel that I was on were both from a more traditional PR side. So it's kind of interesting to compare those differences. And then with your presentation then this year, brand advertising for small brands, could you summarize what you what you discussed in that? Sure. So, you know, really a lot of smaller brands like ours, you know, we're our our profile, we only have 4,000 students, 2,800 undergrads. We don't have, you know, we're a D3 athletics program, so we don't have the big D1, you know, commercials on Fox. Um, so how do you build the brand? And, and once you've developed your brand strategy, as Heather was talking about, then what do you do to perpetuate it? And one of the things that we talked about a lot in our presentation is just making the case using data, as Heather said, we, you have to take it out of the anecdote conversation of, well, my cousin's brother has never heard of Cal Lutheran and he lives, you know, just down the street, right? And there's a lot of that that goes on. So you have to say, okay, really how many people have heard of us? What do they know? What When they do know about us, what do they know about us? Do they know the things that we want them to know or do they think about other things that we don't want them to think about? And then for us, it was actually the opposite of what Heather was talking about, about she went far away to build the brand. Well, when you have a small budget, you got to stay really tight. So we defined a really small territory where we knew we were less known than our, you know, our immediate region. We were fairly well known. The next kind of territory over in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, for those who know the area, we were way, our, our awareness fell completely off the radar. So we focused on this little 200 square mile region and we put all of our money into that little 200 square mile region. And we were able to move the needle pretty significantly over the course of two years. But it, I think it was really about a very, very tightly focused media strategy. Now that's not satisfying to somebody who says, we should have a national brand and we should be known as well in Michigan as we are in California. Well, that's just not gonna happen on a teeny tiny, marketing budget. So we have to, I, I call it like the concentric circles model. Okay, once we take over the San Fernando Valley, then we can think a little bit more about greater Los Angeles. And then maybe we can look at Southern California and Michigan is a long way off for us, right? Um, and then I think the other thing is to not be afraid to do a little bit of edgy creative. Um, the creative work that we did was, um, pretty, I, mean, I wouldn't call it edgy, but for higher ed, a little mm -hmm. had a little bit more attitude. And um, I think that helped it break through kind of the smiling person with a diploma and a mortarboard stuff that you see in a lot of outdoor, at least in our region. Um, and so again, I think that helps penetrate when you only have a little bit of money, your creative has to be really good and has to work really hard for you. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm interested in the uh, the area where you where you focused and you achieved some success in moving the needle. What were some of those measurements that were critical for you in in terms of moving the needle? Well, the biggest one was just overall familiarity and awareness. So basically, in our local area, 
we have like 96% awareness, meaning 96% of the general public knows who we are. When you get into that next territory in the San Fernando Valley, at the time it dropped to 53% awareness. So that meant 47% of the population had basically not heard of us. So we moved that needle from 53 to 70% in two years, which was actually even more like 18 months, which was pretty significant and we were pretty pleased with. The other um, piece of it is what were we known for? So once we defined our brand attributes, we tested the, the level to which people thought that attribute described us. And um, we moved the needle about, you know, somewhere between seven and 15 percentage points on all of our brand attributes being associated with us. So we were building awareness, but we were building awareness for the right things, which was also good. We didn't do, uh, we also measure like to what extent are we considered good versus great versus excellent and, you know, reputational measures like that. We didn't move the needle as much like kind of moving up the, what you might call the prestige scale, but um, that'll come hopefully with time and building more awareness. So we do this benchmark every two years. Um, so we actually have another one coming up this summer and that helps us measure our progress. Great, great. And a quick reminder for listeners, feel free to jump in. Comments, questions, anything about AMA Higher Ed, feel free to tweet us using the Higher Ed Live hashtag. And perhaps the most talked about presentation was Richard Edelman's keynote on the rise of the, the fifth estate. And so intrigued to hear your, your takeaways or, or comments about that session. And, and did you have anything specific that you're, you're taking from, from that opening keynote at AMA? And I'll open that up to either of you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, you know, his, his comments really track, um, you know, what they're finding in their whole Edelman trust barometer. So, I mean, he built his whole, he built his whole talk around that, you know? So, I mean, the big takeaway I think is, you know, we're in the middle of this populist revolution. Um, you know, we can all debate that, but you know, we are seeing certainly a lot of evidence globally um, that their trust barometer is pointing to. Um, and, you know, his message to higher ed that, okay, populist revolution, you all are seen as part of the elite. Um, so the elite is, you know, not trusted. The elite is suspect. Not only that, but as universities, you are associated with um, innovation. And that has been your message for a long time. And we've counted on this message of we are, you know, particularly research universities like where I am, um, you know, that's part of what our value is, our tremendous value to society's innovation. Well, suddenly, you know, innovation in the midst of a populist revolution is a frightening thing. Innovation is part of what is taking our jobs. Innovation, you know, machines taking away work from people is is um, is not necessary. Is, is unraveling the social fabric. So. You know, not that I think that our arguments about our value have been spectacularly successful uh, with legislators and the general public. We've we've been having trouble with that for quite some time um, at um, you know public universities, at elite universities, even that aren't public. Um, but um, you know, his message to us is, you know, you're going to need a different value proposition. You're going to need a different game plan here. And I don't think you've thought about it a lot. Um, so really a very, um, you know, uh, 
a, a bold statement of, you know, uh, not only do you need this wake up call, but you need it for these reasons. Um, you know, I can't tell you, and, and, and Rob, you probably experienced this, how many meetings I go to where the message is from our, ourselves talking to ourselves, we're just not doing a good enough job with the same old message. We've just got to take the same old message and package it up better. We've just got to do a better job explaining why um, they need to believe us when we say. And his message to us was, they're not going to believe you when you say for these reasons. Um, there is a huge disconnect between what you're saying to yourselves and what, um, you know, in the middle of a populist revolution and, uh, you know, fear about um, technology, um, you know, people will hear and believe. So y'all better think about it. So to me, that was the huge big takeaway. And um, it is not something that, um, you know, public relations, marketing people can just go take back to their institution and sit in their own office and work on by themselves. This is a, you know, government affairs. This is a, um, you know, advancement, uh, you know, donor relations. This is a whole, you know, president. This is everybody working together to think about, you know, our connections to our stakeholders, um, you know, so. It, it, it was a big deal. I mean, I think that's why it generated so much, so much talk. Yeah, I, I will say this was the first conference presentation I've ever been to where I forwarded it to my president. And, you know, I never, I, I've never felt like this was like I've, I've had content that was president worthy before, but this one I really did feel like stimulated some new thinking. I think the the thought of higher ed as as the you know the fifth estate, if you will, like being a critical part of advancing society. I think we think about ourselves that way, but we don't always assert that. And I you know I think he was saying like he was challenging us to be more assertive about that notion. And then I, you know, as Heather was just touching on that idea of integrating, he he called for this um, idea of creating an office of engagement that reported to the president that was marketing and PR, which many of us have together right now, but also uh, government relations, community affairs, and basically being the voice of the institution across disciplines. And for me, that I think that's very thought provoking, and I, I think um, higher ed we've all talked about it, it tends to be super siloed and I think those silos don't always work for us anymore and he was basically saying blow up the disciplinary silos and find a way to uh, bring all the best of those disciplines together to advance an agenda. So, you know, one observation that I would make is that, you know, in big public universities that combination is not that uncommon. Um, but even if you stick it all into one organization, it doesn't actually necessarily mean that it's not siloed. Um, so, you know, I have been in, I've been in that structure. Um, I've worked in other structured, I, you know, I've worked in an advancement model. I've worked in a, you know, public affairs and government relations model. I've worked in, you know, my own standalone model. So in, in effect though, often you're still individual structures, no matter where the org chart lines it all up to be. So integration, you know, really uh, has to be about more than where you draw those, <laughs> where you draw those lines, you know, just having everybody report up to some, you know, single head. 
uh, I think, you know, in his mind, he was talking about an organizational chart, but he also was really talking about more deeper integration, um, which I think many of us, even within our own structures, are struggling to achieve. You know, the integration between PR and marketing, which really don't even have a boundary anymore. But to really make that effective, you know, integration between, you know, advancement, well, in my institution, advancement is fundraising and alumni relations. And, you know, whether we're in two different um, organizational units or not, we really need to have some more seamless planning and, um, you know, work. So we're working hard on that. But so whether it's in my own unit or two units together, you know, what does what does integration uh, really mean? How can we really do it? And and why? And the why really is all about our stakeholders, right? They don't care. They don't know, you know, and if we're going to do things that um, allow us to make some kind of a coherent narrative, um, you know, that that um, engages them, that serves them, um, then, then that's, you know, we have to be looking from the outside in. And that and he did he did talk about that, you know, you have to be, you know, working from the outside in instead of the inside out. But he's he's talking even more. It's it, way deeper level than just the messaging. I mean, I think really, you know, what's the compact between the university and society? That's the fifth estate part. What is the compact here? Um, where is the real genuine partnership between institutions and the communities they serve? Um, not just communities. I'm not talking just like right around the, you know, campus, but communities written in a very large way. And, um, you know, what, how is that defined now? Um, and of course, you know, universities have, you know, decades, if not hundreds of years, in some cases of a track record of engaging with communities. But how, how is that working right now? We have this huge schism, you know, we've got to look at it. Yeah, the integration question is such an interesting one. And I think maybe the last time I reached out to you, Heather, was uh, about your org structure at Michigan State. I was doing research on uh, marketing organizational structures across the Big Ten. And not surprisingly, there is there is no one structure. And right. I think what is particularly interesting is as marketing uh, and branding have come to the forefront more and more, uh, and, and institutions are bringing more expertise in those areas. And now you're seeing some institutions that are creating that CMO level, that vice president level CMO position that is a parallel to uh, a, a vice president for communications position. And so they may be different organizationally, but collaboration and integration still needs to occur. And so the, the rise of, of marketing has further complicated what is yeah. already a, a, a challenging question. That's true. Uh, I agree with that. Um, and really, um, you know, if you look outside the academy, um, you know, I think that it gives us clues about some of the things we really need to be thinking about, which is if you look at the agency world, right, if you took an integrated PR agency and you took a, you know, marketing branding agency and you asked them to bid on the same project and then you covered up their names, a lot of times you can't tell the difference. Right. So they're converging in terms of their capabilities, um, their, you know, their disciplinary approach because they have to. 
um, and digital and social have really driven that. I mean, that's the, because that knits together the experience that people have, you know, and the and the tools that are used to deliver that experience and that experience of a brand, that experience of, you know, a, an organization. And so um, I think that this leads further to our confusion as we hire people and hire people in that, you know, whether they came from a PR background or a marketing background, they often have the same skills and, you know, they're ready to go and move across boundaries. And, you know, we're trying to like fit them into a, well, are you a marketing person? Or are you a PR person? I'm just a person that does stuff, right? You know, I can do this and I can do that, but wait a minute. Um, so, you know, I think we need to really, um, look at how we um, how we think about the work, how we structure the organizations. Um, it's it's a uh, it's it's a new world, and and we have to start to to be um, different in how we go about it. Mm -hmm. I keep this little post-it note on my here. I'll put it up to the camera, Chief Connection <laughs> Officer. Nice. So this I wrote down during some webinar, and I wish I could even remember who said it. But they said that the CMO is not the Chief Marketing Officer; they're the Chief Chief Connection Officer. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it down on a sticky, and it's been up on my pinboard forever. But it really is about how do we yep. create connections? You know, I I often feel when I'm in the room that let's say I'm in the room talking to three deans. Well, I actually know what those three deans are doing and what they have in common and what they have separate, but they don't know that, that <laughs> right? Like they're not talking to each other necessarily as much about their issues as they're talking to me. Each one is talking to me about issues. So I can help say, hey, you know, Dean of School of Management, Dean of School of Ed just tackled a very similar issue. You might want to talk to him about that. And, um, Sometimes as the marketer, you're the you're having a lot of these conversations and you can facilitate those connections. And part of part of it is just adding value by creating conversation. But also, how, again, as Heather was saying, how do we not look at our work as so distinctly disciplinary and think of it more as creating outcome, you know, everyone working for common outcomes? Yeah, the uh, other comment from uh, from that keynote that I thought just very basic but very interesting that the fact that that marketing itself lacks trust at the moment and and his call for moving from advertising to communications, which we know that advertising alone won't do it, but it is part of the the overall mix. And and if I if I look, for example, at at my competitive set at our institution and look at that Cantar data, everybody is is spending more and not just more, in some cases, significantly more. So these are they're really challenging issues that uh, are, are easier said than done, but um, certainly made for a, for a fruitful AMA conference. So nice job to you and the other committee members who put together such an all-star lineup of, of keynote presentations and other presentations. And um, I know we can't dive into all the keynotes, but you did have some great ones. And so I'll just, I'll, I'll put out there if they're, any others that, that particularly resonated in terms of takeaways that, that you were able to bring back to you and, and your colleagues? Well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Larry Vincent's, but I'm right in the middle of reading his book. So, you know, I, which I would recommend. Um, I, I'm reading Brand Real. And um, so that focus on brand attachment and what drives brand attachment and 
um, you know, the his kind of breakdown of what, you know, what creates brand loyalty, the idea that loyalty is a behavior, um, you know, and so, and it's about the future, what are predictive of what your, you know, what your um, stakeholders are going to do in the future. It also just, you know, as I'm like pausing there, that word, you know, what strikes me that um, the word customer is going to be like the word branding was like, you know, 10 years ago, like we, at my university, literally, it's verboten. You just can't say the word customer. It's like the president said, it, you just can't say that word, right? And and so, you know, brand is in the in the title of my office and in my title. And, you know, I don't know, seven years ago, that just never would have happened. So I'm, I'm assuming that customer at some point, we actually might be able to say that word. But right now, it's so polarizing. So, um you know, but just I think Larry had a lot of good things to say about the value of content and context and helping to provide that that loyalty and that attachment. And we're all wanting to do that. And we're also into content marketing. And and so I think there's some good stuff to go. Um, if people haven't uh, had a chance to see that one or visit that one, there's some good stuff to poke into in that one. And I think both Larry and James Kane took uh, took an approach to loyalty from similar yeah. but slightly different sides. And I, I thought that that was pretty interesting because I think it really um, gave us two slices of the same coin and really the idea that loyalty is not something you can incentivize through airline miles or, you know, I, you see this so much with alumni organizations. Alumni organizations uh, try to incentivize loyalty by giving away a free, you know, picnic blanket or <laughs> whatever to get you to, to you know, re-engage in some way. And the reality is like all the stuff in the world, all those incentives in the world aren't going to create true loyalty. It's how are we being relevant? And I, I think that um, that that question of how can institutions be relevant to alumni today is one of the biggest questions facing higher ed and one that we're not talking about very much because it's so challenging. But we can't have been relevant when they were 21 and not continue to be relevant when they're 41 or 61. And if we're not figuring that out, and frankly, I think that Heather's institution is one of the ones that's doing better at that than a lot of them. But if we're, if we're not thinking about that, we're not going to ever engage alumni on a long-term basis. And this is, you know, from my consulting days, I worked a lot with a lot of different alumni organizations, and you just see it as just a chronic problem. I think both Larry and James, um, anyone who's watching who's responsible for alumni communications or alumni engagement should watch both of those presentations because both of them had a lot to say, but it means we have to completely transform the way we deal with alumni. Good point. And the uh, the importance of relationships, which goes back to the, the <clears throat> breaking down of silos that we talked about earlier, but I, I certainly appreciated his comment about how we're not, we, we can't necessarily be loyal to brands, we're really loyal to to relationships and how, you know, how important that is. Um, Joe Brennan, a uh, fellow committee member uh, for the AMA conference did a, a conference recap post and and he outlined some trends that, that he uh, walked away with. And one of those, which we've already touched on, is about the acceptance um, of marketing as being a legitimate part of, of higher education administration. And Heather, you talked about this in terms of incoming deans. And, and so I, I'm interested in 
um, where you think we are, <clears throat> excuse me, in that evolution of where where marketing branding truly are in terms of the, the overall higher ed landscape? Well, I would say that I think it is, um, you know, I think, uh, it, it, I mean, it is gaining acceptance. It's clear that it has gained acceptance that it is, but I think in the life of a single institution, um, I think there can be backlash movements. And I think that's something, I think that's something that, that the, uh, those of us that are leaders um, have to have to be careful about. We have to watch that can come from a change in leadership that can come from a change in how we practice it. So I can tell you that when we brought it to the campus, um, the level of um, rhetoric from, from faculty uh, negative rhetoric increased substantially. Um, it didn't increase to the point where it became problematic, but you know the number of complaints to the provost about all that money they spend, and the uh, that we had a particular faculty member who actually kind of made um, his own sort of um, you know mini. Uh, you know, platform about holding sessions, you know, to uh, and, and making media interviews about, um, you know, his view of this and how bad it was um, and uh, got some attention for a little while and then it died away. Um, but, it, you know, there are there are evolutions that happen. And um, I think leaders have to be aware of that. Um, and, and some of it is is just kind of leadership change. But it's not just that it's it's fatigue. You know, like I was excited about it before, but now it's been around a while. I'm no longer excited. And now I'm starting to be annoyed because I understand that some of that money could be in my budget and, you know, it's not. Um, so I think, um, you know, what can happen at a single institution, um, you know, I while I would say that definitely we've seen a trend of acceptance in higher ed over time, I think there's also a backlash that could happen actually in higher ed in general. Um, that could be driven by changing conditions. Um, that could be driven by, um, you know, a lot of different things. We have, you know, we have challenges to tenure in many states uh, or several states right now. So, you know, when conditions change sharply for the people who have been sort of at the bedrock of of higher education and institutions, um, I don't think we can count on everything sort of just smoothly continuing on. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I do think, in general, though, the um, profession is being seen as an accepted part of the higher ed landscape in a way that it might not have been even ten years ago. Um, yeah, but I, I think Heather's right to be cautious. I, and I think one of the things that we continue to have to do, if we're not being data driven, uh, you know, I, I had somebody that I worked with who said, well, I, I'm not a data person, I'm a marketer, <laughs> right? And the reason I went into marketing is I don't like math, right? And, no. and, I, and I was saying like, oh, well, we have to stop thinking that way because we have to be data driven. We have to continue to demonstrate that what the way we're investing is moving the needle. And if it's not, we need to be able to adjust. And, you know, I, I'm having a conversation right now with a dean who we, we just agreed on a positioning a couple of a, a couple years ago, wants to change his positioning in another direction. 
And, you know, I'm not convinced, but we're going to test it. We're going to do a set of messaging with his idea and a set of messaging with the current idea and see how it goes. We can't just be entrenched and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the professional marketer and I know best and you just have to listen to me. But if I can back it up with data and maybe maybe his idea is the winning idea, in which case let's move forward with it. But we have to be willing to prove it. And if we're not, if we're just going to rest on our laurels as you know respective marketers, then uh, we're then we are going to continue to be under challenge, and our budgets are going to continue to be under challenge. I think the other thing that we um, can do is to demonstrate that, um, and and many of us are doing this, but to demonstrate that you know we are. Um, capable and willing to help with some of the things that are bottom line type of activities for the institution that are less um, less common for us to work on. So student success, um, you know, sometimes we would think, well, those are internal audiences. Those are students who are already here. We're all busy over here with, you know, keeping the brand going and creating visibility to get people in the top of the funnel. Um, but you know, do we really want to leave graduation rates to, you know, uh, people who don't, <laughs> who don't have experience in, you know, creating campaigns or, you know, really, you know, doing really, you know, a lot of analysis on whether this type of communication worked or not, or do we want to say, hey, we'll expend part of our resources and our time over there too. So um, I think that understanding kind of what the business objectives are, um, outside of maybe the ones that we've commonly been applied to um, is another way that we can make sure that we are being relevant to all kinds of aspects of the institution that are really fundamental um, to to what to what we're you know what our institutions are here for. So yeah, and and on that note, um, in, in terms of the the overall outlook that that uh, attendees had. Certainly, it's a it's a time of unprecedented challenges and uncertainty, but at the same time, uh, a time of enormous uh, potential, enormous opportunity. And we we talked about this a bit in in recapping uh, Richard Edelman's presentation. But uh, were there takeaways in terms of or or thoughts that you came away with in terms of what we can do to tell the not just our individual institution story, but how do we all do a better job of telling the broader higher ed story? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we do is, um, you know, we partner. Um, I think that, um, you know, whether it's through the associations that we have um, or smaller groups of insti like-minded institutions um, that we, you know, we have to work together to lift up messages um, about the way we, we make a difference. Um, you know, if, if, if we all spend all of our money um, individually branding ourselves and um, working to push that out. And that's all we do. Um, now, you know, we know we have to do that. We have to do that for many reasons. A lot of it's fundraising based, uh, you know, to create that loyalty to, to keep our, our constituents um, engaged over a long time. Um, but there are other things that we need to do to help with this whole kind of value of, uh, of higher education in this country. Um, and those things are better done in partnership than they are alone. 
Um, and so how do we, you know, make sure that we're balancing and, and keeping some resources so that we can work together um, with others to send some of those messages. And so, you know, we're in, in many ways, we're competing on certain levels with certain others and we're not competing in other ways. It's always been a very, you know, and that, that's why higher education is very interesting, right? That's why we are they're always very open, you know. Uh, I think people that come, uh, you know, in from outside higher education, I've certainly had many of them remark to me like, oh my gosh, you guys just share everything, right? Um, and, we, and we do share a lot um, because in a lot of, there are a lot of ways in which we don't compete. And then there are other ways in which sometimes we do, but it's it's kind of obliquely a lot of times. But um, but these bigger messages about you know what's our value proposition as 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 a set, um, you know, I think a lot of those are going to have to be done in collaboration. Um, yeah. I think one of the other themes that came through loud and clear in the conference was. Um, you, you mentioned how do we tell the story? We have to tell stories, right? Mm -hmm. We often spew data, right? So we say, oh, well, 55% of blah, blah, blah is blah, blah, blah. And, you know, especially a younger generation, but honestly, who even has time anymore to like pay attention to all of these statistics flying at you? And is it, and is it more compelling to tell the story of this one student who accomplished this one amazing thing with the kind of implication that behind that one student are a hundred more or a thousand more. Um, you know, and I, I think it's the other thing that we have to be really mindful of in higher ed is that we are so into our content that we want to tell you everything about it. Right. And we tend to go on and on. And I, I was just, um, De dealing with a video question where somebody wants a five minute video. And I'm, and we have a, a ton of data on how long people watch videos and people watch videos for 90 seconds and then they're out. And so a five minute video for somebody who's used to watching 90 seconds is an eternity. And so how do we tell stories and tell them faster, <laughs> tell them in a more um, digestible, somebody at the conference used, um, oh, I think it was Richard Edelman talked about how we have to have briefer content, we have to have tighter content, we have to be able to do it in little, we call it snackable chunks, right? You have to get it out there in little bits that when it's all taken together, tells a bigger picture story, but that it that engages people better. And I think as an industry, we're, we're not good at that. Um, partly because academics don't like to do things short. Academics have 15 weeks to tell their stories, right? And when they're teaching or when they're doing research. But as a marketer, we don't have 15 weeks. Well, there's so much more I'd, I'd love to ask about. We didn't get a chance to talk about uh, the digital strategy and marketing intelligent tracks and, and uh, what you may have taken away from there. I also wanted to ask what you and your teams are focused on in the new year. So I think uh, an excuse to, to get together for a future episode, maybe uh, in the coming months. So maybe we can do a, a preview of AMA 2017. But speaking of that, date, location, anything that uh, you'd like to share about the, the 2017 uh, symposium for the marketing of higher education. Uh, so Atlanta, it is in November. I don't have the actual date right in front of me. Christy, do you have that? No. Okay. Uh, no it's like the third week of November. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so check the website. Um, but Atlanta, easy to fly to. Yes. Uh, so yep. And uh, great city. So be there. A lot of fun.
And we'll great. and we'll be picking lots of great lots of great presentations. We'll be able to build a great conference for you. And what was the attendee count for 2016? Oh, uh, I I don't actually have that in front of me. I'm sorry, but it was oh, it was like 1,200. I was going to say 1,300, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in between Fantastic. those. Definitely the place to be, the largest gathering of, of higher ed marketers. So Heather and Christy, great job on AMA Higher Ed 2016. Thanks so much for being a part of the program today. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. And best wishes to you both in 2017. And as always, thanks as well to M. Stoner for making Marketing Live possible and to the American Marketing Association for sponsoring today's program. Be sure to get reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can browse the archives at higheredlive.com or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I'm Rob Zinkin. Thanks again for tuning in to Marketing Live on the Higher Ed Live Network.